Blog Talk Radio. Glass Hamlet, that is an indie artist that this show, Off the Chain, 
introduced to you several years ago. That particular song seemed very apropos for tonight. And again, this is Off the Chain. I'm your host, Yvonne Mason, with my co-host, Ian Bush. And our guest, who has been on here before, who I've seen watch grow and blossom and expand his craft, author Chad Lutsky. He has written for Famous Monsters of Filmland, Rue Morgue, Cemetery Dance, and Scream Magazine. His short fiction can be found in several dozen magazines and anthologies. Some of his books include A Foster Home and Flies. That was the first book of his I ever read, and that book still haunts me. It, it You don't just read the story. You're in the story. Also, Stirring the Sheets, The Pale White, Skull-Faced Boy, The Same Deep Water as You, and The Neon Owl. His work has been praised by authors Jack Ketchum, Richard Chismar, Joe R. Lansdale, Stephen Graham Jones, Elizabeth Massey, and of course, his number one fan, his own mother. Good evening, guys. How are you? <laughs> hey, Yvonne. Thanks for having me again. Hey, Yvonne. Hey, guys. Um, Chad, you are most welcome. It's always fun when, when you come on the show because not only do we have history from when you first started writing, but mm-hmm. you and Ian are, are also fast friends and he said he's going to try to trip you up tonight, so we'll see about that. <laughs> okay. So let's get caught up. Since you and I last talked, let me just flip over to your works. You have written a whole page. and just I can't even count them. At least, what, 20, 30, 40? Short stories, books, anthologies. Yeah, yeah. I'm in probably three and a half dozen and uh, short story anthologies. You've just been running right off the rails here, my friend. I am, I am so, so proud of you, ladies and gentlemen. When when Chad first started, he sent me the book Foster Homes and Flies, and I couldn't put it down. And if, as he has grown as a writer, if his latest books or anything like that first one, they're going to be on steroids. <laughs> I'm telling you, Chad, you just, honey, you just completely taken your journey and ran with it. And before the show, we were discussing. You wrote a short story when you were a child, and then you didn't write anymore. Why? What happened? Um, I don't know. I, I, now that I, this is really ironic. The first short story that I uh, that I ever wrote actually took place in Ian's Ian's father's house, and um, yeah. and then yeah, I didn't write anymore. And then until my early twenties, and I wrote I think four short stories, and then I didn't write again until. I was in my 40s, early So 40s. see, ladies and, ladies and gentlemen, this just goes to prove, and Chad, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but this just validates the fact that it doesn't matter how long it takes you to travel your journey. Just travel it and, and do what you are called to do, where your craft is, where your talent is, and, and just go with it. So if you put it down for three or four 
20 years or so, just pick it back up. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, Ian, I know mm-hmm. that you have several things on your evil little heart. Why don't you just jump right in here? <laughs> of course. Thanks for the thanks for the for the invite. So um, yeah, Jed and I go back a, a little bit. Um, I think you met me when I was about fourteen. You were seven, right? No, I think you were seventeen. Fourteen, seventeen. It, it was it was around there. The, the years are melding. My my brain's getting old, Chad. Um, <laughs> and then um, we actually uh, did some gaming nights. I remember that. And um, I remember when I first talked to you that you had just a fascination of music. You really enjoyed the music and all of that. How much does your music play into your books? And you have examples. Uh, Not really much, uh, with the exception of I wrote a book called The Same Deep Water as You, and it's essentially based on a – uh, a, a spring, summer, and winter of my life in 1989 to 1990, and um, it is centered around a specific album by The Cure, and all of the I've got lyrics sprinkled throughout as dialogue, and I've got all the chapters are are um, song titles from that album, including the, the book title itself, The Same Deep Water As You, is, is a Cure song from the same album. But that's the only one that, that really like heavily influenced, um, because that, that that album played such a pivotal role in those years, and so that was uh, an easy soundtrack for that, and, and I, um, it, it's a, a really emotional record, and so it just every time I put it on, it brought back a lot. It brings back memories and I'm like right there again. And so when I wrote that book, I listened to that a lot and just really drew from those memories. Other than that, you know, just listening to like soundtracks sometimes, but for the most part, um, probably 80% of the time that I write, I don't listen to any music because it distracts me because, and I don't know if that's from being a musician or what, because I, I tend to start listening to, you know, the beat and the, and the melody, and, it, and it's just too distracting for me. And you're also, you still do art too, right? You still draw and paint and all yeah. that? Yeah, I do a little bit of art. Every once in a while, you know, somebody will ask me to do a commission piece, or or I might feel influenced to do something, but I don't do it a whole lot because it doesn't really, it doesn't bring me a whole lot of joy. I get stressed out because I'm a perfectionist, so um, I, I, I don't do it a whole lot. The same question. Do you do you feel like you have any artists in your in your books that kind of uh, resonate with you and your story, your personal stories? I mean, um, I, I do pay homage to like some certain musicians in in some of my stuff. That's like kind of like Easter eggs. I've got, um, and most of those references are like under more underground bands like black flag and the accused and stuff. And, and it's, it's mainly for, I'll stick some things like organically in there. And, and unless you know, um, or are privy to the bands, you might not recognize, you know, like maybe a song lyric will be, um, you know, some dialogue or there'll be a scene that will actually depict an album cover from black flag or something. And and your, your average person isn't going to even notice it. 
but a fan of of that, you know, like I've had people reach out to me and and say, "Hey, man, I totally caught this Black Flag reference in in, in this book." Yeah. And so, yeah, I I like to I like to do that. No, that's and, good. And, that, and then and that, for you, Yvonne, did you? He was part of um, Saints Holiday with us, right? Was he part of the anthologies with us? Correct yes. me if I'm wrong. He was. I did. Uh, I was part of the. Oh, I can't remember what it was called. I got it here on my shelf. It was a like, merry scary was a Christmas. Christmas. Yeah, merry scary Christmas. Christmas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was another. And that's how we all came together. <laughs> it is. And and I want to swing back around to what Chad was talking about about the bands that he lands his Easter eggs in his books. He wrote a blog, ladies and gentlemen, back in April, and it's called Blame Joe Lansdale. And I found it very interesting because those of my audience that know me, really know me, and these two guys can attest to that, I don't march to anyone's music or dance to anyone's band I march to my own music, and so does Chad, and so does Ian. So Chad wrote this blog, and it said, Blame Joe Lansdale. And he says, it was 1984. I was a freshman in high school. My favorite bands were ACDC, Kiss, Black Sabbath, Rolling Stones, and Iron Maiden. And like most kids my age, I listened to local radio stations, believing they were trustworthy gatekeepers of music, weeding out the bad with some all-knowing filter, and presenting only the best music the planet has to offer, saving us from having to hear anything less than stellar. But lo and behold, ladies and gentlemen, Chad was introduced to music he had never heard before. And it all happened while he was at Harper Creek High School. Tell us about that, my friend. Um, probably the only good thing that ever happened to me at that school. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was uh, um, I was yeah, just walking down the hall, and, and like the thing that I wrote said, I, I I was under the impression that the radio was some kind of yeah gatekeeper that that weeded out everything that was perfect and listenable and if you heard it on the radio it was the best of the best and i had no idea that there were other genres out there of music um that that were that you would never hear on the on the radio even still to this day you're never going to hear and um so yeah i was walking down the hall one day and i heard uh, a friend of mine playing some just the the most obnoxious sounding music that I'd ever heard and it was I was like what is this and he's like this is a band called Suicidal Tendencies and I was I heard that name of that band I was like that is so profane to have a band called something like that and this is when nobody knew who they were this is you know they they had just put out the first album it's like 1984 and um I he made me a tape and it had all these bands on it and it just it opened my world to this whole you know I, I just I turned my back on the radio and I just started discovering music that wasn't um, available, uh, you know, anywhere. And I realized that this, this top 40 stuff and, and the things at the radio that they are just, that's all they are is gatekeepers and they're, they're stopping you from, you know, even Black Sabbath is a perfect example. Everybody's heard Iron Man and War Pigs, but they have, they have, you know, a ton of other stuff, uh, even better, mm-hmm. stuff, but you're never going to hear them. And so 
agree. You know, that by the time you do hear it, you're so tired of Iron Man and Paranoid and, and War Pigs that you never want to hear them again, <laughs> even though they're great songs. And and so I I always hated that. You know, it'd be like if if uh if you hear Leonard Skinner on the radio, you're just going to hear Simple Man or Freebird and it's like tons of other stuff out there and in great great songs. And why aren't the, why isn't the radio so I, I realized it's up to me. It's up to me and my friends to turn each other on and do tape trading and and say, hey, check out this deep track and check out this band that you're never you've never heard before. And and yeah, just open my eyes up to a to a whole new same. And then and then it goes started going into books and film and it's uh, it's still like that. And for every you know, it wasn't just punk. For every genre of music, you think of there's an underground scene um, for that. For with bands that um, you know, for whatever reason, aren't being played on the radio, but you know, you hear Lincoln Park on the radio, but it's like, well, what about Coheed and Cambria? They're they're mm-hmm. even better, but they're not being played on there. So yeah, it was it was a fun discovery. And and the thing <laughs> is, that's that's true whether it's art or books, because okay, you you look at the New York Times bestseller list. It's the same names over and over again. And in my research and talking with people in this industry for years, the way they get the New York Times bestseller list is they send a list of all the new books to all the local bookstores. And the managers go in and mark off the names of the the people they want to be on the bestseller list. Then they send it back into the New York Times. And that's how you get to be on the New York Times bestseller list. It doesn't matter if the book is a decent book or not, whether it's a traditional author or an indie author or whatever. It doesn't matter whether that book is any good. It's the name behind the book. Same thing with the music. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure how that works. Um, I mean, I know it it definitely has something to do with sales, you know, Mm -hmm. with with book sales. And my friend... uh, Josh Mailerman, who wrote, wasn't, um, I don't think he made the New York Times bestseller list until the Netflix movie came out. And then it happened like overnight. Right. I think. Um, but I, I don't know exactly how it happened. But um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, I think they're becoming a little bit more, um, I don't really pay attention to the list, um, probably because I, I, you know, I know I'm, ne- I'm never going to be able to touch it, at least not, not anytime in the, in the near future. But um, so I don't really pay a whole lot of attention to it, but I think that they're they're a little bit more receptive to a lot of um, you know new talent and, and and stuff like that because there's a lot of great writers out there um, too. Like I was just talking about Josh, and and he's you know he's only been doing this for I mean he's been writing for years, but he's just he's just, by the time he put Bird Box out. Um, he had already written 20, I think 26 or 27 books, but, but they were all, they were all just in notebooks and stacks of paper. This is the first one that he's like, let's, let's try for this one. Let's go for this. one. So he had been, he had been around, but um, I think things happened relatively fast for him. But I think that the bird box was out probably three or four years before it got any kind of real attention. And you you are probably right. And again, because you do march to your own drummer, that's what makes you unique in your writing. Skullface Boy. That I haven't read that book yet, but from from what that I've read about the book, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. That the reader's got to literally step out of their their mindset and be willing to accept a different type of protagonist. Yeah, for sure. You want to yeah. tell the folks about Skullboy? Uh, yeah, Skullface Boy is just um, it's the title says it all. It's it's about a boy who has a uh, skull for a face, and I give no explanation, and I do. I ask that the reader just, um, you know, leave their suspension of disbelief at the door and just go along for the ride. It's not a huge, huge part of the story, um, but but it also is. You know, he's 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 always been a um, lived in a since he was born lived in a foster care, and at the age of sixteen, he just finally ups and leaves and he goes on a road trip because uh, rumor had it from someone that he lived with at the foster care, one of the the nuns there said that when she was young, she used to see a a man like him surfing in California at her Monsa Beach. So um, she encourages him to kind of seek this out. And so in the middle of the night, one one night he grabs a book and a backpack and he leaves from Denver, Colorado to um, go on a hitchhiking road trip to Hermosa Beach to look for this guy that has uh, that also has a skull for a face and then he meets bad people and good people along the way and it's just a it's a coming of age um kind of weird fiction um uh road trip book ian i know you've got i i hear the thoughts rattling around in your brain yeah i mean there's always something rattling up there i guess <laughs> i think i think the the big thing that I kind of pull from that is, um, you know, kind of talking about family and all that and kind of going with what you said, Yvonne, about how we all kind of walk to our own tune. And especially this book sounds like it definitely walks to its own tune. How much, um, much of that do you instill in your, in your, your family? Cause you, you do have a family. I, I won't disclose mm-hmm. details or anything like that. And I, I talk about my daughter quite a bit, um, and I try to inspire her to be a young, independent woman who can think on her own and and come to her own conclusions and go with that. You seem like your art helps you do that with your children. With to to raise them, right? To it- to essentially, do, do you see that? you kind of doing your own thing, especially think about what's what you said about your music and how mm-hmm. everything was so mainstream and you kind of found the underground. Do you kind of help them look deeper for other things as well like that? Um, yeah, yeah, I definitely have always encouraged them to um, have an individuality um, and the, which they do, but they also kind of laugh at me because because I I am a, a real um, I'm very uh, I don't I'm not sure what the term is I'm very punk rock when it comes to that like if I know something is um, is popular then I I just I have a problem with it um, and it might it might even stem back to um, going back to the music and finding out that there's much better stuff out there and and then finally you know finding my tribe and, and being able to discovering things on my own and, and not being some sheep that is listening to the same thing and wearing the same thing. So if something becomes um, 
popped there. You know, I think when we actually first met, I had dreads that were like three feet long. And then um, soon after that, they, I started seeing other people started to get them. And it was, that was, that meant it was time to go. So I cut them yep. off. Um, I, I pierced my nose in, I think, nine, 1990. And it was a very punk rock thing to do. I got looks all of the time. Um, you, you know, as far as getting a job with a nose ring, that was never going to happen. And I only knew two other people that had one, and they were in punk bands. And it was a punk rock thing, and it was very shunned. And then um, I, you know, I wore my nose ring for years. And then all of a sudden my daughter, who was like, I think she was like 15 or 16 at the time, she wanted her nose pierced, and I started seeing people took it out i haven't put it in since and that was like 20 years ago and so i my kids laugh at me because i'm like that because um every time that i i you know i'm i am doing something or i or i think something hey man that kind of looks cool but then i see too much of it i won't have anything to do with it and so i'm not saying i don't teach my kids that they need to do that it's just that they, it is kind of a joke that, you know, this inside joke that my family and I have that, oh, dad would never do that. Or you better stop doing that, dad. I just saw, you know, that kind of thing. But <laughs> I, I definitely try to have tried to get them to um, not focus on certain things like materialistic things, like a brand of shoe, for example. You don't have to spend, you know, $120 on a pair of shoes just because everyone in your school has them. And but I do realize too that 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 kind of trend isn't quite as bad as it was like in the 80s. Like if if you didn't have like Izod and weren't wearing Nikes or Ocean Pacific, if you didn't have these kind of things, or if you wore, wore Wrangler jeans instead of Levi jeans, you were really treated poorly. And if anyone ever saw you inside of a Kmart or or which today I guess would be more like a Walmart, and you were getting clothes there, or they found out about it, then you would just the teasing wouldn't stop, and it was that. That's how Harper Creek was at the time. I, I know that, you know, once you leave high school, nobody worries about any of that. But I think somewhere around 1990 or so, we could probably blame Kurt Cobain and, and all of Seattle for this. But it became cool to get those um, cheap clothes and even used clothes from garage sales and Goodwill and Salvation Army. And ever since then, that's been it's been cool to have you know, some individuality and to have some weird looking clothes. And it, it, it became no longer like this punk thing to do or this counterculture thing to do, but kind of a mainstream thing to do. But at least it eliminated all of that, you know, like branding, like, oh, you don't have this brand and you don't have that brand. And, and it's not quite as bad as it was when I was younger. I, I know it's still there a little bit, but um, so I've always encouraged them not to fall into that trap and, and that that's not who they are. And if they want to dress a certain way or if they want to have their hair a certain way, then do it because that's what you want to do. Don't do it because you think that this is what makes you special, you know. So. Well, it's funny yeah. that you keep bringing up our uh, old high school because in the interest of transparency, um, as you've already alluded, you were friends with my dad and I went to the same high school that mm-hmm. you guys went to. And it's just yeah. funny that even the, some of the themes that you're saying, I felt in my own life because, mm-hmm. I mean, I started writing when I was in fifth grade. And mm-hmm. um, I remember the teacher, and I think, honestly, the teacher that um, I had in fifth grade, I think had my dad too, Miss Gothberg. 
And okay. she actually was like really cool with it. She was like, mm-hmm. Hey, that's, that's really neat. Like, what are you doing? And, um, even before then in fourth grade, uh, my eyes were open to writing from, uh, Miss Whitsky, which I still to this day, like give her all my props for like pouring into me and, and, um, showing me that, you know, I could do what these people I'm reading about did. Mm-hmm. And even with some of those bright lights, even when I got published um, my my senior year at 18 uh, because of Miss Locuson, my, my um, theater teacher, she actually found this uh, publisher and was like, I want you to submit to this. Like, I want you to do this. But besides the couple here and there like that, it was the same for me. And it mm-hmm. has it didn't really change after 30 years, and that's really unfortunate. You would think that as times change, no offense, not calling you old or anything, but as, you know, as that time periods have changed, mm-hmm. we would get better about creativity and individuality and stuff like that. But unfortunately, it sounds like we're still just kind of stuck in the dark ages when it comes to that stuff. Wouldn't you agree, Yvonne? Yeah, I would. And the reason is because people in general don't like change. They like yeah. the the flow of the norm. And when you have people like us who do not believe in the flow of the norm, because even a river will change its direction if it runs into something that tries to impede its flow, and, and we, we, are, we are that impediment, we... It's hard for people to accept how we do what we do because we don't do it like anybody else. No. And that's what that's what makes us so much fun. That's it's like I say about this short show. People are afraid to listen to this show, but they're afraid not to listen to this show because if somebody <laughs> else listens to it and says, "Oh, did you hear what happened on Opera Chain?" They're gonna, "No, I I didn't listen to it." Then they're gonna go around wondering what they missed. So. That's mm-hmm. what makes this show so different. This is why it's not scripted, and this is why we do what we do. My mother always said I did march to my own drummer, and I was probably her most difficult child. My father put a fence up around the backyard to keep, he said to keep the dogs in, but it was really to keep the kids in. But I showed all the little kids how to climb over the fence. So <laughs> I've, been doing this, I've been doing this all my life. It's nothing new for me. And speaking of this show, I'm just going to give this show a prop for a minute and and so that Chad will know that as of today, we're now in 30 countries, and we have had 145,621 listens. Nice. Congratulations. So, my friend, you are helping us grow. We're heard in Kenya and South Africa and India and Indonesia and Vietnam and it, it, I could go could go on and on, and it's only going to grow. And the the reason for this show is for artist, independent artists like yourself to get out there and be heard. Because again, the difference between us and traditional marketing is we don't have the big bucks to go out there and do TV advertising and radio advertising and uh, high profile public appearances. So we have to make the internet our friend and, like you said earlier, use it to our biggest advantage. Would that be a fair statement? Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah, the internet is great for, for networking and promotion. In fact, before the show, we were discussing how when you figured out that, that the internet was the doorway to getting your work out there instead of the self-addressed stamped envelope that was going to come back with probably a rejection letter in it, mm-hmm. you were able to let your creative side just go berserk because then you were in control of what you did, how you did, when you did, and there was nobody standing over your shoulder giving you deadlines and and saying no to things you wanted to do with your brand, correct? Yeah. Yep. And, and and it's made for some wonderful, wonderful, wonderful writings on your part. In fact, Thank you. you are quite welcome. Talk about Slow Burn on Riverside. That You said that's the last, the latest book that you've put out. Talk about that one. Yeah, that is actually like a, it's a standalone, but it's also a prequel to The Same Deep Water as You. Um, it has the same character, uh, same protagonist, and um it's um it's pretty short you know it's a novella and it is um because it's so short i can't give too much away other than um the protagonist is has just recently moved into a new apartment with some new roommates and they um they start experimenting with drugs and then there's the the apartment becomes a bit of a revolving door of roommates and um yeah, drugs start to kind of deteriorate um, their mental health, and um, it deals a lot with uh, relationships, and the landlady next door is this uh, horny cougar of a landlady who is just fine with getting paid sex uh, for rent rather than money, and she's kind of, uh, she's different, <laughs> and it's, um, it's, it's another coming of age. It doesn't really have, there is some supernatural stuff alluded to a little bit, but it's more of a, it's not horror. It's more of a, and neither is Skullface Boy. A lot of my stuff isn't, isn't necessarily horror, but it borderlines on it. And it, the words horror adjacent. Um, but I, it's, you know, just, it's like a um, dark drama and it gets darker as the book goes along. Pretty proud of it. I enjoy it. It's a, uh, it's very non-traditional, and um, it hasn't it hasn't sold as many as a lot of my other stuff. And I think a lot of it has to do with it's hard finding. You know, I, I it was very important for me at the beginning to never pigeonhole myself. I didn't want to put my stuff into uh, everything into a box. I wanted to write whatever genre I felt like, and I didn't want to be just the horror author. And so, um, you know, I've written. Uh, like crime noir that's humorous. I've written regular crime noir. I've written some really nasty, like gory stuff, and I've written drama. Um, and uh, mo- most of all, everything I've written about drug addiction, and most of everything I've written is, um, yeah, more, more. It's more literary horror, I guess, or literary dark drama. So when you've got someone who's used to reading about haunted houses and serial killers and, and creatures in the woods and under your bed and stuff, and then, and that's what they're looking for, it's hard to market some of the stuff that I have. Um, fortunately, I still get great, great great reviews, and I have a, a large readership, but there are a handful of books, and The Same Deep Water as You and Slowburn Riverside are two books especially that are harder for me to get 
an audience. Um, but which sucks because they're also two of my favorites that I've written and they were the most fun to write. And that may have something to do with the fact that they're so heavily autobiographical too. I mean, I mix it between the two. There's a lot of stuff in, in both books that, that never happened just to kind of, you know, dramatize things and make it uh, more interesting and thrilling. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a hard book to give a synopsis. It, it sounds anywhere near intriguing, I guess. But wouldn't it be safe to say that while it is not the monster under your bed, it is still a psychological horror because drugs within themselves and drug addiction is a horror. And yeah, that yeah book, for sure. That book, both of those books tell us tell us a uh, life lesson. And when someone can read those books with an open mind, especially if they have someone they know that is that is down that rabbit hole, they can relate better to that person. Yeah, yeah, it's it, yeah, it's got. I mean, it's got death in it too, and and uh, um, mental illness, and um, yeah, because it's so short, and because of the. I guess the last 20 pages or so, it's it's hard for me to go any further and, and give and anything okay. that would be really intriguing. But, but but what we've done is we have cracked the doorway to make people go, oh, no, ladies and gentlemen, don't go looking for his books until after the show. Please pay attention because you're going to miss something. Right, Ian? <laughs> of course. <laughs> we have to remind him every night. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't be running off because. We will find you, and we will bring you back. We do that. Now, Ian, before the show, we had a discussion about the the, um, the photograph. And, oh, of course, Chad was totally left in the dark. So I'm going to let you bring him up to speed on that because I chuckled about it at 3 o'clock this morning when I couldn't sleep because I had to get up and do some research on renting a barbecue grill in Daytona Beach for an event I'm doing and I'm thinking, mm-hmm, yeah, okay, I want to see if he really does this. So you get to explain to Chad that little tidbit of news. Uh, it's nothing too serious. I, <laughs> we we were talking last night with Joanne Fisher. Um, were, were you on the show, or were you listening in last night, Chad, by chance? No, I wasn't. No worries. Uh, I was just asking as in, so I, I know how far to go back. So um, she <laughs> brought one of her actors uh, is the front cover of one of her romance novels. And uh, Yvonne could not stop talking about how many fans she had blown in her house and how many ice cubes she needed and all that. So I decided to uh, go on there and uh, see, you know, for myself, even though I don't swing for that team, I can still respect art, you know? Yeah. And um, <laughs> yeah, that's a new that's a new rule, isn't it, Yvonne? We don't we don't bring we don't bring uh, uh, actors that have six packs and uh, make me feel a little inferior. So I stupidly opened my mouth and said that um, we uh, we have a little challenge going that I'm going to start working out and I'm going to uh, be the next cover model for. Joanne Fisher's next uh, romance novel. <laughs> and so nice. the photo was of me working out drenched in sweat with the actual shirt um, from Michigan. From Michigan, y'all, because, yeah. you know, I love my Michigan. My Michigan Wolverines, of course. And um, that was the 
that was you know Yvonne double dog dared me so in 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 the spirit of Yvonne and and double dog dares I actually want to double dog dare you something Chad oh boy uh oh now you get into this drama Chad so I I remember you know again it's a little bit foggy you and I had a pretty good solid story that we wrote together did we not yeah yeah we, yeah we wrote a little yeah. short story and. Sold it for a measly fifteen dollars. Yeah, it was called the the transmogrification of Christopher Edwards, I believe it was called. Yeah, and it was. And it was a. It was a. Uh, into zombiehood, essentially. Yep. That was a good little book. We we uh we should co-author again someday. I'm 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 double dog daring you. I want you to no, I want you, you to pull me out of the abyss. Yeah, he needs to be oh. pulled out of the abyss. He he thinks he can't write anymore. And oh, I be- didn't say that. Because he thinks he can't. He doesn't. He he. What he has not yet learned is Yvonne does not accept that in the vocabulary. <laughs> well, you know, Yvonne pulled me out of the abyss for her show again because she, uh, she knows that her and I are a good team. I, I remember you and I used to be a good team. So hey man, you, go. you got to put you got to put the, the the pen to paper or the finger to whatever it is you're doing, oh. man. And you just got to <laughs> even if it's gonna suck, you just got to get you got to work that muscle, dude. He, he he's backing away. I, I told him I was gonna throw a curveball at him tonight. <laughs> he wasn't ready for it. He's not backing his way away. He's telling the, uh, you that I'll, you've I'll got draft a contract in. and. My my people will send it to your people, Chad, and they'll talk and we'll 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 get scheduled. We'll get on the calendar. How's that? And then oh, y'all we'll will do lunch. <laughs> see, ladies and gentlemen, we never know. We 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 never know on this show what is going to come out next. One thing leads to another. Now, in your little blog on on April the eighth, when you talk about not doing what the normal trend is and one of the things Mm -hmm. that when you write about horror one of the things Mm -hmm. that you don't normally write about is vampires because we know they have been way overdone that you Mm -hmm. can't even make this stuff up anymore it's done overdone (laughs) so much however you wrote bloodletting now tell me yeah. I, I wrote a vampire the, book, yeah. You did, but I'm sure it has a catch for it. Well, it's yes and no. I wrote it kind of as an experiment. It was to be the uh, the beginning of a series. I don't have another book out in the series yet, and I wrote it under a non-cryptic pen name. So it, on the cover, it says C. It's just my initials, C. E. Lutsky, rather than Chad Lutsky. So it's like it's it was just a statement saying yes this is something different you know it's it's not so you know people have certain expectations with most of my stuff they either think they're going to end up crying or <laughs> most of the time crying they think they're going to end up crying and that it's going to be something um completely unique and with this i knew that it was going to have no you know it was you were not going to have to pull out the kleenex or anything and it wasn't going to be anything truly unique it was my way of kind of um trying to write to market um with the hopes of using what i learned on um, using amazon ads to to uh you know promote it um and 
maybe develop a new readership. Now, the, the I did take pretty much every natural aspect out of a vampire that you could think of and turned it more into like a condition that, that um, you know, like almost like a blood disorder um, where this person needs this. And, and, and the, the, the protagonist is a, is a female and she's a vampire and she's um, just try, only been like this for a year and is trying to find, you know, has nobody to teach her the ropes and has because of her morals she kind of had has like a code like dexter if you've ever seen the the show dexter Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so when she does feed um she uh uh, does it on the deserving because her her friend is a uh an attorney and so when they know for a fact that someone has gotten off with something they shouldn't have, then she will feed on that person. And, and usually there's an, a kind of an investigation that goes along in part with that, just to make sure that they are deserving. Normally it's not, it's not killing them just, but what she does changes their life because it usually wipes their memory. And she does kind of like this hypnotic thing. She's, she's helped people get off drugs before, but it's also, you know, like um, drank from them and then made like, suggestions you know uh like subconsciously suggestions about you know getting off drugs or stop beating this woman or you know stop drinking and stop beating your wife kind of thing and it's very draining on her so she can't just go around and and do this to everybody but those are usually the people that that she'll feed on um and try anyway to stay away from just outright you know murder so that was my way of of trying to make it a little more unique and there's probably something out there already like that. I don't know. I don't really read um, vampire fiction. Um, well, one thing I will tell you is they do not, these vampires, do, they do not sparkle. Um, no, they that, don't sparkle. I've never seen a vampire sparkle. In all the years that I've been around, I've never seen one sparkle. Well, if, if one did sparkle, did... I would I would hurt it. They're not supposed yeah. to sparkle. Well, Stephanie Meyer changed that, didn't she? She oh. brought all the Twilight stuff. So. Bless yeah. her. And, you know, people uh, people tend to, you know, when somebody gets that big, just like with Harry Potter, all of a sudden all of this young, you know, middle grade and young adult fantasy and urban fantasy exploded. And, and Stephanie Meyer is probably responsible for, um, you know, this uh, vampire explosion as well which i don't know is i don't know how alive it is anymore but i knew that i know that that kind of stuff um is popular and it's also kind of got some romance elements in it as well so which i'm not against um i love uh romantic films and romantic comedies i'm a romantic at heart and i have i've got no qualms about writing a romance one day i think that i could pull that off pretty well but um so this has some of that in there but again it was kind of an experiment by the time I was done with it and got it out and promoted a little bit I was on to the next thing and I I didn't promote it very good at all I didn't do the usual things like sending it out to to um you know Your reviewers and all that no I, no like um you know like people on Instagram and, and reviewers on YouTube that have other channels and stuff. And I didn't really send, I don't think I sent any copies out to anyone. And usually I do. Usually I'll send 10 or 15 copies of something out 
to get the, you know, promotion going and people reviewing it and then other people start to do it and, you know, it's kind of this chain reaction. But I didn't do that with this. I was going to solely rely on uh, Amazon ads. And, um, but I think what's, what I have against me is the fact that, um, like, if I would have had, like, three or four books in the series and kind of did a rapid um, release, rapid release, you know, where – yeah, where they were, they're coming out every, you know, couple months or something, then that that would have helped me because, uh, you know, not, if if you know a series is coming up, just like on TV, if you know a series is available, like my wife or my daughter, they're not that interested in series on Netflix if they see that it only has one season because they wouldn't, uh, they, yep. they want to know when, the they, same way. when they start mm-hmm. this. Yeah, when they start this, they want to be able to keep going. And, and people are like that with um books too and and the serious thing is is definitely something that i haven't really done i have a a book a crime noir book in a in a series two the second one will be out this this later this year but the um it's something that i haven't really tackled and i do know as far as any authors go if you're wanting to make any kind of money then that is how you do it my friend dan was writing horror books and he was doing okay but he was only making maybe, I think, just under like three figures a month. And then he stopped writing horror and he started writing thrillers and he started writing them in series. And he's got like three different series with like at least four books in each. Now the dude is making like, I think, somewhere around 28, 38 grand a month by utilizing the, the you know, doing the series things and learning how to um, work with ads and things like that. So he, you know, it wasn't just that he wasn't writing horror. I mean, that helped, but it's it was also the fact that he was releasing a series. And so um, I just don't – I I toy around with the idea of doing that, stopping everything I'm doing and just write this, you know, series in a, in a niche that's really popular or just a, a genre that's really popular um, and, and then try to, you know – just hone that craft of, of getting these Amazon ads down because they're so difficult and Facebook ads because they're so difficult. There's real science behind them, but I know a lot of people, man, they're making a living doing that. And uh, I, I think what really stops me is I just, I want to write what I want to write that month or that season. And then maybe I don't want to write that kind of book anymore. Maybe I don't want to write, horror again or I don't want to write another thriller again I want to write and I feel like if I did the whole series thing it would feel like a job yeah which I guess wouldn't be but hey but if you're making 30 grand a month I guess I I guess but then then, Ted the passion goes out of the writing because when it starts becoming a job then it's not a passion anymore and that comes through in the writing there are two authors that that I continue to read out of all the hundreds of mainstream authors that that I have read, well, actually there's three, but there are two authors that I continue to read and I continue to read them and I don't mind waiting for their books. They put out one book a year. That's all they put out. Uh, Tim Dorsey and James Swain, they put out one book a year and I wait for those two, those two authors because those books are so engrossing and so that's a, that those authors you get in the story. Mm-hmm. So, who's if you oh, go ahead? 
writing one book a year with with the research and and with the the thing the craft that you have keep those two guys in mind because they're phenomenal yeah go ahead who says that you can't um write a series and change the genre of the character that you're writing so for the first book it could be a because well for one people want to know like people love familiar familiarity you know so if um that's why like romance for example this you're never going to find a romance novel that hasn't been done before you know the you know situations change a little bit but it's the story's already been told and mm-hmm. or or romantic comedies or romance we all know how they're going to end and it's okay because we want the happy ending and that's what we're watching it for. That's what we're reading it for. And so people are, are okay with reading the same thing they just read last week, but, you know, with different characters and stuff like that. So if you go in that genre and you change that and you try to change those rules, there's nothing wrong with that. But the masses want the same thing. They want, they want something familiar, uh, as Joe Lansdale would say, like an old, comfortable uh, pair of shoes. You know, because the masses are like, boring. Well, well I, they just, I, I'd like to challenge you and say that I, maybe maybe I'm just a weird reader, but I mean, if I wrote or if I read a story about a man who went through a terrible, horrific experience, and then the second story is about his love life and how he came back to get back on his feet afterwards, and then the third one could be you know, whatever. I don't know. I, I think as long as you put the parameters up front, I don't think you'd be ruined familiarity. You you already know the character. You already know what you've been through, and you're just seeing yeah. a different facet of his genre. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, well, and that's what you described is same deep water as you in Slow Burn on Riverside, and I and I have a third one for that that I'll put out eventually, and that that's exactly what they are. It's the same character going through life and going through trauma and going through mental illness and going through tragedy. But um, it's, it's, it's hard to market something like that. Um, for example, like if you look at – if you go right now and you look at the best-selling romance, the best-selling urban fantasy, the best-selling um, paranormal romance, all of the covers look exactly the same. And by exactly the same, I mean you know, they're you know, the same type of font, the same you know, flashy colors, the same you know, paranormal ram- romance you're going to find a bear or a wolf in the background and then you're going to mm-hmm. find some sexy dude or sexy chick on the cover. They all look the same, but those and, are the and ones with that, that and, then, and with that guys, guess what? I, I hate to cut you off, Ted. We've got to continue this conversation when I bring you back. We have just passed our five minute mark. Oh, okay. We, I'm so we are at the, almost at the end of our show. So will you come back and let's finish this? Yeah, sure. Oh, wonderful. So give real quick, give, give the reader or give our listeners some words of wisdom because you are an amazing author, an amazing human being, an amazing friend. So give, give our listeners some perks of wisdom. So when they say, I want to, but I can't because. Um, oh, I gosh. <laughs> I mean, are you just pertaining to life or are you just talking about writing? Both. All of the above? Um, well, as far as writing, yeah. I mean, you even 
if you write that your first draft of a book and it look and it, and it reads like shit, at least you've got the whole thing there to look at. You've got all of those words, 30,000, 70,000 words or whatever. doesn't matter. It's your first draft. Everything could be changed. The important part is just getting the words out, getting them on paper or whatever. So do that. You've done it. You've done like the hard part. There you um, go. As far as life, yeah, just be a good person, man. Stop uh, stop trying to cancel people and stop trying to – oh, so many judgy people out there. I, I, that's a whole other hour. Yeah, but yeah and we be can a good talk person. about we're, that. We can, we're we all, can we're do all going through tough times. We can do that on the next show, too. Ian, real quick, your words of wisdom. Um, you know, I can't follow up after Chad for that one, so I guess I'm going to – do is my typical cop out and say uh, if nobody else told you we we love you thanks for listening to our show we appreciate you keep pushing out good stuff and uh, we're proud of you so keep doing good stuff so ladies and gentlemen our our author our guest tonight author Chad Lutsky go check him out at at chadlutsky.com but don't do it until this show is over Get his books. He is an amazing, amazing writer. His books will stay with you forever and a day. Amen. I am so honored and so proud to be able to call him friend and to watch him as he's grown over these past few years and to been a little part of that growth. Chad, thank you for that honor. You are Thanks, you hold us you're you're so welcome. You hold a special place in my heart because mm. You've you've done some traveling in your life, and always, Ian. I love having you here. Ian keeps me straight, ladies and gentlemen. When I get to where I can't talk, he sends me to my room, which is always fun. But then I find a way to get him back, like challenging him. So, <laughs> so join us, join Ian and I next Monday night when we talk to Jason Norwood. He is out of Canada. He has been on my show before. He was the other half of the group Cypher. He has struck out on his own, and he is another amazing indie indie music artist. And then on Tuesday night, my friend Mary Brotherton, who I write for her magazine, Be Unique, will be with me. And then August, we are lined up the entire month. I will be putting those shows up this week. So, again, this is Off the Chain. I am your host, Yvonne Mason, with my co-host, Ian Bush, and one of the most amazing human beings I've ever had the honor of being able to call a friend, author Chad Lutzke. Check his books out. Support this man. And and read, read even the ones you're not sure of, because I guarantee you, you will get something out of them. Keep an open mind, ladies and gentlemen, because that's what... It's all about learn to be well-read, well-rounded, intuitive, and always looking for the unique in all of us. And with that, I will say join us again next Monday night at 8 o'clock Eastern Daylight Time with our guest, Jason Norwood. Good evening, gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining me this hour. Talk to you later. Have a good night. All right. And, Ted, I'm going to set you up for another show. we got to continue this. Okay. All right. Good night, guys. All right. Good night. Bye, y'all.